0: And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Bernice Miller-Travis. Welcome
1: back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. This is your host, Mike Hancocks, and today we are talking about planning and building communities for an aging population. My co-host today is Paul Zykovsky, Associate Director of the Local Government Commission. Hello, Paul. Hi, Mike. And our guests are Kathy Sykes, Senior Advisor for Aging and Public Health at the U.S. EPA. Hello. And Bill Armbruster, National Advisor, the AARP Livable Communities Program. Nice Welcome. to be here. So I'd like to give our audience a little bit of background on the people that are speaking or are our guests. So what is it about the field of aging and public health, Kathy, that attracted you?
2: Well, I can say that I'm a daughter of an advocate for elders, so it was sort of in the genes, I would say. And my mother was also a researcher about the well-being of the environment. I think that came together to have an interest in both the environment and public health.
1: Fantastic. How about you, Bill?
3: Well, I actually have a a background in healthcare. Uh, worked in Medicare Advantage and really saw the gaps people were falling through, and it just drove me to advocate at a higher and higher level and now I can you know, work with communities across the nation. And in my case, I think it
4: really came out of the work I was doing on livable communities. Um, I started working on these issues in the, in the early 90s, and late, in the late 90s we started seeing public health really take an interest in the way our communities were built and whether they were communities that were uh, conducive to health and, and where people could be active could have access to healthy food, all
1: those types of things. Which is kind of a cycle, right? The planning profession really started out around public health issues, a different set of public health issues around sanitation and those kind of things, and now it's kind of come full circle.
4: Exactly. Yeah, it's it's sort of ironic because uh, we're now fighting some of the regulations that were established by planning departments that created communities where we separated uses dramatically, where it's really hard to walk in those communities because of the design of the streets and the design of the neighborhoods.
1: Fantastic. So you want to kick off our questions, Paul?
4: I guess my, one of my questions is, why is planning for an aging population so important in the U.S.?
2: Well, I think the first thing is we've got a huge demographic shift that's occurring right now. I'm part of the baby boomers, and there's an awful lot of us, and our population over 65 will double by the year 2050. Right. Um, so it's, it's part of who we are now. Yeah, and I think
3: a lot of communities aren't ready. A lot of communities plan for the 35-year-old. And they think about youth and families is where they plan, but they haven't planned for those people who hit 50, 65, and now even it's not uncommon to be, you know, 90 over 100. So how do we include all life segments in planning and also include an aging lens? Because people want to stay in their home, they want to stay in their community, and most people are doing that. How do we make that successful?
4: Yeah, and in fact, I mean, if I've heard correctly, the numbers are staggering. I mean, I think I last heard that every 11 seconds somebody in this country is turning 65. Is that about? I don't yeah,
2: know that I would numbers? call that progress. I would say that that's an opportunity because we now have many more people who are able to get involved at their community level to make a difference for people of all ages, mm-hmm. but also to make communities think about the people who are moving at slower paces. Mobility right. is one of the first changes that happens to all of us and at different times in our life that we need to start paying attention to
3: and you know every generation has their opportunity to put a stamp on this you know we've seen the longevity come up we've seen the the big boom and everybody retiring to you know the south to senior communities and that people want to redefine that and i think it's a great opportunity to be part of that discussion and that movement to really make our communities ready
1: we also seem to, you know, if you think about generational changes in society structure and family structure, right? So I think about the baby boomers parents generation might be the first generation that did that retirement community kind of thing, right? Yep. So we learned some lessons from that, you know? And now you got this huge cohort of baby boomers who are, you know, they're senior citizens, but they're not old senior citizens. Yeah. Yet. So what, what can we learn from the change in how communities have developed and what can we learn from the past generation that will inform what we need to do going forward? What are some of the big challenges that we face in order to be prepared for this aging baby boomer population?
3: Well, I think the reality is we're already in the boom. You know, so it's, it's a matter of having communities embrace it. I work with a lot of communities that are, you know, well, we have to focus on economic development. And I'm from the Northeast, and we have two terms we try to fight, boomer flight and gen exodus. These people who are leaving the state and who are those people Are the people who can afford it. So how do we keep people in their communities? How do we keep them engaged? I think there's a a huge opportunity with civic engagement with people when they get over a certain age. A lot of them are helping out with uh, grandchildren or helping out in the community. We need to really take advantage of that.
2: I would also say that the aging population, it's really, it's not one size. We're not a homogeneous group of people the diversity in many different aspects from how fit or frail we are. Obviously, racial changes has also, we are, have a nation that's not only aging, but we have a higher numbers of people who are minorities. Mm-hmm. People have very different choices of how to live, uh, whether uh, they live in a community condominium or co-op or whether they live with multi-generations. It's much more prevalent now to have you know, three or four generations in the same household, mm-hmm. and if you're Hispanic, it's more likely. So, and the issues are very different if you're someone who's older, for example, and black and renting mm-hmm. in a community than uh, a family with a male head of household and uh, empty nesters.
4: Yeah, and Kathy, I have a question for you that sort of follows up a little bit on that, and that is, what is U.S. CPA's interest in these issues? And obviously, where people live and the environments they're in are going to impact aging process and how people relate to their their environment?
2: So I will say one of the most important aspects that we recognize at EPA is the ecosystems where we live has impacts on public health. And so the area where the team that I'm on looks at things is where can we make a difference to save Medicare dollars? And there have been some really good studies where we've been, you know, working on the sustainable and healthy communities, but where there may be policy interventions that we could do that will make a huge difference on the arc of developing hardening of the arteries, for example, or heart disease. And that may be something as simple as uh, fresh food availability within walking distance. Right. What about
4: rural versus urban? I mean, we hear a lot about those issues these days.
3: Well, those are, you know, transportation is typically the number one issue, no matter whether you are urban or suburban. But Access to transportation in rural communities is, and even suburban communities is, is really a big barrier for folks. You know, how do we, this is one thing our, our country has to figure out. If I choose to give up my keys at a certain point, how can I still remain independent and have access to my community? And if you have money, you can do that. Mm -hmm. If you're anywhere, you know, in between middle income, lower income, it becomes a big issue. And we know that public transportation doesn't solve all the issues. So there's a a lot going on in terms of mobility management. But then again, access to food, people live in food deserts, access to health care, access to, you know, other aspects of their community are very important.
2: And another aspect of the difference in urban and rural is I think What they share is wanting to have a common ground and close space for many activities, for people to socialize, to get their food, to get medications at any age. But also um, in urban areas, we have a problem of heat islands where we don't have enough canopy and tree cover. We have problems when we have severe weather, downpours or droughts that makes life, I think, very difficult if you're in one of those urban neighborhoods that doesn't have all of the things that we can do from a built environment standpoint to improve the quality of life.
3: And as an example of a a rural community, this is something I encountered with a a small community in upstate New York. They were having a big migration of their senior citizens. And then I went down, we looked, and said, well, it was eight miles to the nearest grocery store, eight miles to the pharmacy, 12 miles to the nearest doctor, and over 45 minutes to the nearest hospital because of hospital closures. And when people were more able to get around, it wasn't an issue. But now all of a sudden that became a big barrier for them to stay in their community. So, you know, having to think about and address those issues as a community to keep the people who major community invested raised their children went to church there you know uh, they should you know not have to be pushed out because they don't have access or can't gain access to things
1: there's also kind of an economic component to that too right i mean the senior citizens tend to not use public services they're not using the school system they have income right so there's a it is kind of an economic having those folks move out of the community those retirement incomes help support businesses in the community, et cetera, right? So
2: And the schools. And the example. schools.
1: Right. <laughs> so we're talking about like this is an important issue. Does ARP or the US EPA have a guidance for communities on how to think about and what they should be doing in terms of planning for? An aging population? Sure. Uh, for ARP,
3: I actually I work in our, our livable communities department. We have policy guidance, you know, looking at best practices. We have a, a national newsletter that comes out weekly that highlights things going on around the country. You can go to arp.org backslash livable. We have a whole website to that. Plus, we've also invested and in, have become the United States affiliate to the age friendly communities through the World Health Organization. I manage that network, which is now 144 communities representing over 63 million people living in those communities. And the network has doubled just in the last year. And it is everything from a community of 250 up to New York City and L.A., where you have big urban centers. Every community is trying to figure this out because every community is
1: aging. So where do folks learn more about the age-friendly communities? ARP.org backslash livable. Fantastic.
2: Kathy? I'll just say that we used to have an aging initiative and used to have awards, Building Healthy Communities for Active Aging. And I'll say that we had like 21 communities that started this effort back when nobody was working on these issues. And I can tell you from some research we did, a colleague and I, we found out many communities that tackled making communities more walkable then started on more difficult tasks such as having affordable housing and dealing with green infrastructure to deal with inclement weather. So I can tell you that we still have guidebooks available. Unfortunately, it's not on the website. But I will say another tool for people who are interested, our planners, for example, the American Planning Association did also put together a guidebook for planning for an aging society. So uh, I I would uh, turn you in that direction as well as to the AARP Public Policy Institute and uh, Livable Communities.
3: And another uh, tool that AARP created, uh, it was launched back in April of 2015, is called the Livability Index. And it goes anywhere from state, county, town, village, to even zip code and neighborhood to tell you how livable your community is in terms of housing and transportation and opportunity and environment. And the policy piece of that was just updated uh, last Thursday. So it's completely been, been updated in terms of that. But it is a great place for a community to have a discussion to say, where do we rank? How are we doing? And where's our opportunity for it, for improvement?
2: And for people who are familiar with Walk Score, I would say this is like Walk Score on steroids. I mean, this is all the aspects of well being that's in one place and one factor. And I had the pleasure to work on putting that thing together uh, with folks from the ARP. And I'll just say it's a really useful tool. Whether you're elder or whether you're trying to have caregivers near where your parents live, for example. Or maybe you want to move close by where there's going to be a great place for you as well as your parents to continue uh, close to the people they've been with their whole life. So
4: speaking of that, are there some examples you can give us of places that have really embraced um, you know, planning based for an aging population? Cities, counties, you know, towns, large, small cities, medium cities, large cities?
3: Well we're just starting to see communities who, who use this as part of um, becoming part of the age friendly network it's it's a five year commitment including writing a plan a, a very specific plan on how you want to look at housing uh, transportation outdoor spaces civic engagement work social respect and through that we're seeing now many communities are using that as part of the basis for how they're designing their community. They say, wow, we scored really high on transportation. How can we improve? Or, you know, our housing score is low. Or, you know, people are spending a significant amount of their income on housing, which really doesn't fit here. So it gives them an idea on how to do this. I know Atlanta has looked at this. Cleveland's looked at this. And other communities like now that that are in their planning phase are starting to use this as just one more tool to to have that discussion.
2: I would second that the atlanta regional commission comes up as doing incredible work but portland oregon and you know some cities in arkansas i mean small communities all different sizes casper wyoming i mean there's many communities that uh, really just what was the common thread where we had award winners in the past they had somebody who had a vision who brought partners together and it wasn't necessarily communities that were 20% of their population was over 65 it was someone with a vision who said we can do a better job Satellite Beach, Florida, for example, there was a mayor at the time who knew about all of the uh, emergency vehicle costs and that things could be reduced if we had people out be more physically active, mm-hmm. and very small things like making trails and and bikeways, you know, made a huge difference in trying to cut bring down those costs that actually in, improve the quality of life. You know, we had testimonials from people saying that they had gotten off their medications because they were healthier now, and so these are the positive things for cities of any size, rural and big, that can do it. I mean, D.C. is doing it. I'm on the age-friendly board there, task force with the mayor. So, um, you know, it really it fits every size.
4: Yeah, and ultimately, making a community that's really a great place for a city seniors to live in. is going to be a great community for everybody to live in. So it works across all engagements, I would imagine.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I would say that the people that you struggle with, of course, are at each end of the uh, spectrum. They're very young. You know, you could think about the different swings, a swing set, and how the special seats for them, or how low the benches are. And elders, too. You know, they, they can't bend down that low, so having them a little higher. And these are the kind of adjustments that we need to think about in our community that will make life, you know, worth living and the added years of not working, for example, maybe it'll be investing in um, making the community better for the next generation.
1: So if I'm a planner in a community that wants to listen to this podcast, say, oh, we hadn't thought about this. We need to get started on this. Where do they get started? How, what would you suggest to, I'm a planner for a small rural community in upstate New York, um, and I want to make my community better. Help me out. Where do I go?
3: Well, for me, I would say contact ARP. We have offices in every state. The majority of them are working on liberal communities, you know, that can help bring our resources. But then it's a matter of convening all the right folks. You know, first you want to listen to your community to make sure you're planning for the people who live there and what they want. And not just the people who are, you know, 65 plus now, but start to talk to the people who are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s to find out what they're going to want. If you So you build for the future of that, and then make sure you've got the people who can make it happen there. You know, so sometimes it's a change in policy and how you allocate funding, and a lot of the work is actually done with no additional funding. It's just a change in how you're allocating your funding or where you're putting your projects to get the biggest bang out of
2: them. I'll say Data. And I'll say, in addition to the AARP, there are area agencies on aging located in every community in every state. Tribes even have them too. And, and, and they are a resource. They're required to come up with a plan, a needs assessment, let's say. And, um, and these area agencies on aging, many of them are also connected with your local government commission. So the capacity to do GIS mapping and see where the trends are see where the problems are. We actually, for our Saturday session, have these life expectancy huge disparities right here in St. Louis County. In one area of the city, I don't remember the name of it, but 56 is how long someone would live. And not too far down the road, 91 is the life expectancy. So here is important information that can be seen by policy folks trying to make a difference, seeing where the needs are greatest, Do we have a neighborhood with high density with people who don't have mobility? Maybe they couldn't afford a car. Maybe they shouldn't be driving anymore. But do we have bus service? Do we have any service to get people around?
3: And I think you also really want to uh, look at who your community is, where they are. I work with planners, and the first time I brought planning and aging network together, one of the planners said, we get so excited if somebody wants to build here, we plan by a tornado. Everybody gets excited and we let it land where it lands because we're just happy to have that instead of thinking about is this the best place. And through the engagement and the dialogue with this, they actually are creating their plan. Another place, I think, which is great for communities is to look at your comprehensive plan. How do you represent all life segments in your comprehensive plan? So when those are coming up, that starts to make a culture change because this isn't just one project. This is what we want to be sustainable Anytime any department in, in your community is working on something, they have to say, "Hey, did we look at kids? Did we look at uh, diversity? Did we look at older adults?" And making sure that there's a checkbox that all of these things are being addressed, and then you'll make planning that will actually make uh, you know long-term cultural changes. You mentioned costs at various points in the discussion, and I wonder if anybody's really
4: dug deeper into you know how much we could save, say, in health costs if we were to reduce the medical costs of seniors who are not getting access to good food, who are not getting access to good transportation or active active lifestyles, who can't, you know, find places that are safe to walk. Um, I think some of that data would probably shock people if we started sort of looking at that. I know that a lot of what we spend on, on medical costs is in the last, you know, years of our lives, maybe even the last year. So if we can Progress, you know, create communities where, where those costs can be reduced, I would imagine.
3: yeah. In particular, looking at chronic conditions, you know, particularly diabetes, heart, heart disease, you know, access to food is is a big part of that, access to, to walking. I was invited to a Falls Prevention Coalition once, and I couldn't park near the place, so I'm around the corner. The sidewalk was just gravel for half the part, and I'm like, I'm in I'm a, a facility where the you know where this was happening. You couldn't even walk on the sidewalk to get to it. You had to walk in the mud, which was safer mm-hmm. than the sidewalk. So really, looking at our community, you know those types of things. There are a lot of perceived barriers that people have to be even able to access things that we really need to understand and, and then address.
2: I don't think there's a comprehensive study that's been yep. done. Often we end up targeting certain health endpoints. I mean, the, the important study that was done on heart disease. I mean, that has huge ramifications just because it's the number one cause of death in this country um, for men and women. And if we can prevent and put stave off time there, we've we've done huge savings. Um, you know, the healthy heart is another effort at EPA that we've been doing. You know, connected to the air quality which, again, has huge implications to how we build our communities and how we get around um, that have um, immediate impacts throughout the life course. But um, when we're most frail at the early beginning and late in life, those are our our key points that we can make, something that you could actually show dollars and cents, bottom line, that uh, this is an investment in health too.
4: Which can save us money in all kinds of other areas if you get it
2: right. Exactly.
1: Bill and Kathy, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. And thank you for all the great work that you're doing. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so
2: much.
1: Paul, thanks for helping out today. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. And thank you all for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time on Infinite Earth Radio.
0: Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, the Local Government Commission – Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com, or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com/infiniteearthradio, and Twitter by following at Infinite Earth Radio.